Okay, so we begin uh, a new Bible study series. It'll be uh, four sessions on Acts chapter 1 and 2. I'm titling this called The Promise of New Life, What Pentecost Means for Us Today. So we'll be taking a look in this, uh, this four-part series about the impact of Acts 1 and 2, uh, beginning of the book of Acts, uh, for the Christian life and for the Christian church. Uh, also, we'll be taking some time to reflect upon what the Catholic Church in particular has said about this today and how also in other churches throughout uh, Protestantism, uh, particularly uh, how the Lord is working to renew Pentecost in our day. So let's begin our prayer uh, for wood in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so, Lord, we come into your presence and we give you thanks for the outpouring of your spirit in our day, how you privilege us to be alive, to see and to hear such outpouring. Uh, in the churches as well as throughout the world. We thank you, Lord, that in all churches, Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox, you are working with the outpouring of your spirit. Upon all the nations of the earth, you're working to pour out your spirit. We just say, Lord, more love, more power, more of you, Lord, uh, in our lives, our churches, our uh, and our countries throughout the world. We say uh, more of send a new Pentecost to us, a new Pentecost that will um, make all things new and enable us to live in the power and, and the love of your presence. And we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So I'd like to begin uh, just by simply talking about the book of Acts uh, in general. Uh, Luke is the author. Uh, he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. So Acts is really a sequel to the book of Acts, um, is a sequel actually uh, to the Gospel of Luke. And uh, basically, in, in this, uh, Luke is stating that he wants to talk about how the church is the continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ. This is post-Pentecost. Jesus has died, risen, appeared to his disciples, gone back to the Father in the Ascension, and poured out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So uh, this is a time uh, in which we see in the book of Acts, we see the church over probably a 30-year period, uh, living a life in the Spirit, uh, certainly not perfectly, but nonetheless living a life in the Spirit, fulfilling the great commission of Jesus to go out to all nations and to make disciples of all nations. So uh, we see, particularly, uh, look, let's take a look at the text. We begin with Acts chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12 today. Uh, and the Luke says this, in the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So right there, first two, first two verses, Luke is stating for us what he's doing here. He's basically saying that I'm talking to you about what Jesus did, that uh, continuing from the Gospel of Luke, continuing into the book of Acts, that what he did in Luke he continues to do only through his body, the church. Jesus said of himself in John chapter 5 that I only see, I only do what I see the Father doing, I only speak what I hear the Father speaking. He's fully man and he's fully God, and yet as a man he's dependent on his Father to reveal the majesty and the beauty and intimacy with his Father. And Luke records for us in the baptism of Jesus at the River Jordan, there was the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and the, the beauty of that, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, was this is my beloved Son. Um, and the Father announces this, uh, the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus. 
and the beloved son, uh, the son of sacrifice, the son that he is well pleased with, and the Holy Spirit rests upon him. Think of it this way. The heavens opened and came upon Jesus so that he was empowered to do his ministry. We'll see in the book of Acts that Pentecost is about heavens opening over the church so the church can fulfill the ministry of Jesus, the mission of Jesus on the face of the earth. Another passage in Luke which really takes into heart the focus of Jesus and his ministry is Luke chapter 4, verses 16. And following, I'm just going to paraphrase it. I would encourage you to read it. It's like the kind of the Magna Carta statement of Jesus' ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bring sight to the blind, deliverance to the captives, to announce a year of favor. Uh, again, I'm just simply paraphrasing that, but it captures the heart of what Jesus came to do. And we see that through his ministry, right? He spoke words of uh, hope and forgiveness to people. He taught that, uh, people about a new freedom for their life by following his words and following him. He healed the sick. He opened the eyes of the blind. He made the lame walk, the crippled leap uh, for joy. He made the dead raise, the poor he took care of. So Jesus, you know, this is the ministry he passes on to his church that Luke is talking about here. Verse 3, he says, To them he presented himself alive after his passion by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. The proofs uh, that we see here uh, really uh, the proofs are things like Jesus eating with his disciples. So the proofs are like uh, disciples touching him. Clearly, Jesus' body was risen and transformed as he passed through walls and just simply appeared in the upper room. But also, he was very human. They could touch him. They could hug him. They could, he, he fixed food for them. So these are the proofs. And why does Luke want us to hear that in a new way? Uh, as we saw it in the book of Acts, or in the Gospel of Luke, now we see it in the book of Acts. Basically, we want, Luke wants us to say Jesus is alive and risen. He's conquered sin and death. His body is transformed. His humanity is transformed. This is what's going to become for us, but this is the one who pours out his spirit upon us. The transformed humanity of Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit upon us, transferring that power, responsibility to his disciples, authorizing them for ministry. And he does that for each one of us as well talk about that. So we continue on, and uh, while staying with them, this is verse 4, with them he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which you have, which he said, you've heard me, heard from me. And verse 5, for John baptized with water, but for many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the phrase, the promise of the Father uh, is the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a beautiful phrase of talking about the Holy Spirit in uh, the New Testament, uh, particularly it, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a down payment, if you would, um, of the promise of the Lord coming back. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, a divine person who comes to live in us. Uh, particularly as Catholics, we understand it that when a person is baptized into Christ, uh, in the Trinity of love, Father, Son, and Spirit, um, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They become tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. And so it becomes incumbent for that person then to uh, live a life in the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit, uh, confessing Jesus as their Lord. But that divine person, the Holy Spirit, is meant to transform us into the likeness of Christ. That's why the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit uh, is someone who wants to change our hearts and minds 
into the likeness of Christ and wants to work in us and through us with presence and power and gifts so that we can be effective for the kingdom of God. So uh, the phrase baptized with the Holy Spirit is used uh, several times in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the phrase that John the Baptist talked about that uh, I baptize with water, but not many days from now you, uh, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and some versions say with fire. Um, the book Luke also refers to the baptized with the Spirit phrase in the book of Acts on two separate occasions. Here is one of them. The other will be in Acts chapter 11. So uh, what does that mean, baptized with the Holy Spirit? Well, the verb baptized means to be immersed into or to be dipped into. Uh, so if you uh, think of jumping into a pool on a hot summer day, you're jumping, you are being immersed in water, you know, from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Or another way to think about it is that you could uh, you could be under Niagara Falls, for example, and you could receive a fresh outpouring of Niagara Falls water coming down upon you and drenching you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. So baptism means to be immersed into, immersed into the life and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what does that term mean, baptized with the Holy Spirit? What's its impact? Well, a couple things I'd like to say to look at it. Um, Jesus wants us to be immersed in his presence, his friendship, his power, his gifts, um, so that we can live a life of growing in friendship with him and so that we can live a life of serving others uh, in his name and with his power. And this is something that is not simply human effort at all. So if we continue reading in the book of Acts, Jesus says, uh, well, actually, what happens at that point is that the disciples begin thinking of the kingdom in messianic terms, political power. So here Jesus will be trying to move them to see the kingdom coming through spiritual means. And here is, are the disciples thinking of political power. In verse 6, they ask the question. So when they come together, they asked, look, asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he, Jesus clearly wants to point out to his disciples that the way that his kingdom is going to work is going to be through the spiritual power that is poured out through the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. He says, wait to receive power from on high. In Luke's gospel, it says, talks about being clothed with power from on high. The word power is dunamis in the Greek. It means dynamite. It means explosive um, power. It's explosive in the sense of transforming hearts and minds and people. People's lives become changed and different when the kingdom breaks into their life. But it's also power uh, to be able to grow in holiness. It's power to be able to do the works that Jesus did. It's power to be able to proclaim the good news of Christ to others. It's clearly Jesus wanted to correct the misconception of the disciples who looked at the kingdom from a purely uh, political uh, intrigue and political power and prestige. And he was saying that's not how the Holy Spirit uh, is going to work. That's not how he's going to bring the kingdom uh, to this earth. It's not how he's going to bring heaven to earth. It's going to require 
you to wait till there's this outpouring. It's going to require you to empty yourself out and to yield to the Holy Spirit so he can come and take possession of your heart and mind, body and soul, so that you can be vessels to grow in holiness and to, to grow in power. So Jesus was clearly given a reference here uh, in correcting what so often is all of us find the temptation, right? Uh, whether it be a church ministry or whether it be just living our Christian life, we want to solve the problems of the world through political means. Well, and politics is important because it's simply about a way to relate to people. It's a way of relating to people, um, but it's simply natural. And there's a part that's important to that. But when it becomes for the Christian the beginning and the end of how we bring the kingdom, then there's something wrong with that understanding. Uh, Jesus talked about power from on high. You only get that by surrendering to him, by committing your life to him. You only get that by waiting upon him to be filled with power from on high. There's a certain vulnerability, a certain humility, a certain weakness, if you would, as we allow him to take possession of us and we yield to him. So what's required here? What was uh, Jesus really looking for? We often talk about the nine days, uh, we call it in the Catholic circles, the novena leading up to Pentecost. Um, basically, it's nine days of prayer. It was nine days of emptying out, I'm sure. It was nine days of waiting with anticipation, but at the same time, surrendering to the Lord. It's nine days of emptying out and thinking about his words, that this is not going to happen through political intrigue and power and prestige and strategy. It's going to come through uh, yielding and surrendering to him. Very important understanding for the Christian life. Yet it's very difficult for us to relate that way. Uh, we continue on. Uh, uh, the book of Acts gives us the picture, verse 9 and following, Jesus is taken up into heaven uh, on a cloud. The cloud, again, symbolizes and reflects the Holy Spirit um, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what's happened? Uh, verse 12, we see they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olive, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. Peter, John, and James, they go on to various apostles. And it says, verse 14, all these with one accord devoted themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brother. So the response to what Jesus was saying, what he wanted, was that they would go and pray. And prayer involves that emptying out, that yielding to the Holy Spirit. It involves that intimacy with the Lord. And this is the secret into the power that would come upon them and would be sustained in our life as they would continue that intimacy of relationship. So uh, so I think, like, you know, it's not going to be by political power or by political strategy or by simply the works of, of human beings and the ingenuity of human beings. It's really going to be about emptying ourselves out before the Lord so we can get filled up with his presence and power and anointing. That's how we grow in holiness. It's also how we become effective for the kingdom of the Lord in which he can work through us. We'll be talking about that uh, over the next couple weeks. Let me just uh, conclude with this, though. Um, in the Catholic understanding, uh, St. John Paul II described Mary as moving, having a, a, a calling or mission in which she first started out as the mother of God, bearing forth in her womb Jesus, the word of God made flesh. But then 
at the foot of the cross, it was as Jesus was dying, he said to John, the beloved disciple, behold your mother, and then to Mary, behold your son. And in a sense, he was calling her into a new vocation, that is to be the mother of the church. Notice where we find Mary in Acts chapter 1. We see her um, there at Pentecost in prayer, waiting uh, with for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, like her son promised. John Paul II's point was simply that Mary recognized the need for more of, of the Holy Spirit in her life, more of his presence and power at work in her for this new calling, this new vocation. So let's turn to the Lord in prayer as we conclude this session, this first session. So Lord, uh, we come before you, we see that this promise of new life through the power of the Spirit is something that you make available to us. We pray uh, today uh, as we hear, see the example of the early disciples and apostles that we would also turn to you in prayer and in humility and in brokenness, we recognize our need for your presence and your power at work in our life, that we would draw close to you in intimacy and recognize that we need your anointing for our life so we can grow in holiness and be effective disciples in the kingdom. We pray this through Christ our Lord.